Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to Welcome smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here. Happy to have you. I got to tell you, I feel like this is another one. We got we got another one that's going to mess with your brain a little bit. I'm really digging the topics we're having on recently. I feel like we're expanding and stretching and having fun while doing it while learning along the way. And that brings me to something, actually. I, I wanted to mention this, and if John was here, he'd probably tell me not to say this, but I'm going to do it anyways. So we get emails, right? And I want to be clear. I love hearing from you all. If you're listening, I love hearing. And it means you took the time to go from your phone, which you're probably listening to while driving or walking or whatever. And you said, you know what? I'm going to email these guys, which is smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. And one thing, we got an a email recently, and it was somebody saying, hey, I just wanted to point out, I'm a big fan of the show, I loved these certain episodes, but you really missed the mark on this one episode a little while back. And the truth is, I kind of agree. And I know, we probably don't need to talk about this, but we do our best to bring you something that we feel is worthy of your time. And we have the guests on. And I try to pull great things out of them. And sometimes I fall short. And frankly, sometimes they might. And also, there's somebody else across the world that really liked that episode, right? My point is this. I like to know what you think. If you're enjoying a show or liked an episode or a topic, hit us up. 
If you don't like it, feel like one fell short or I'm doing something you don't like, send a message there as well. I'm always trying to make this a better experience for you all and and a better contribution to the general knowledge of the world. And with that being said, I think this is another episode that really does hit the mark. Now, I can't say everybody's going to like it because there's a political tone here. And just like I try to do in many of my episodes, I would ask, keep an open mind and make your own informed decision. I am extremely excited to bring you our guest today, Dr. Alan Francis. Now, Dr. Francis is a psychiatrist, but of course, he's not just any psychiatrist. He was the chair of the DSM-4 task force and part of the leadership group for DSM-3 and DSM-3R. Now, DSM, for those of you that don't know, stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It is published by the American Psychiatric Association and offers common language and and more so standard criteria for the classification of mental disorders. So essentially, it's the book on mental disorders. And it's always adapting and changing and growing based on trends and literature and science. And it's really to put definitions and labels behind mental disorders. So that means our guest this week literally helped write the book. He is Professor Emeritus and former chair of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at Duke University School of Medicine. And he is an author. His most recent book, what we're going to be talking about today is Twilight of American Sanity. A Psychiatrist Analyzes the Age of Trump. That's right, folks. We are diving into the Donald today. Don't know if you thought you were going to hear that on Smart People Podcast. I first heard about Dr. Allen, actually. If you remember, there was this kind of uh, petition, I believe it was, trying to be signed, where people were saying that Donald Trump is crazy and has a mental disorder and his behavior is due to a real medical issue. And Dr. Allen came out and said, no, no, he's not. And why he said that? Well, I'm going to let you see right when we get into the interview. So I know you're ready to hear it. Let's go learn a little something, open our minds. Let us know what you think. We're at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. And I know politics is one of those polarizing things. So if you think somebody will like this show or maybe hate this show, or you want to change their mind on something, tell a friend. Smart People Podcast. You can find us on iTunes and all of your podcast players. Here it is. We're going to talk to Dr. Alan Francis, specifically around his book, Twilight of American Sanity, A Psychiatrist Analyzes the Age of Trump. Enjoy. I got to say, we are not typically a kind of pop culture show, and by no means are you a pop culture person, but you found yourself in the spotlight with this book and your comments about President Trump. How do you feel about that? Well, it wasn't my intention. This book was long in the making before Trump came on the presidential scene, and my message was basically about the blindness of our societal decisions and that we were ignoring the most important threats to our future and to our kids' future. Uh, that we should be paying much more attention to global warning, warming, resource depletion, overpopulation, gun control, a whole bunch of things. And um, then Trump came along. 
and our societal insanity uh, went on speed. Hmm. And so I didn't expect this to be a um, a book geared to, to current events so much as protecting our kids in the future. But it turns out that unless we work very hard in the present to contain Trump, those kids are going to have a very bleak future. Some people have kind of taken your book and your stance and your, your comments as uh, not protecting Trump, but sticking up for him a little bit. Oh, no, not really. Um, anyone so? who reads the book or reads my tweets or uh, or blogs will know that um, I have absolutely no respect for this guy. Right. But I'd much rather that people not be distracted by his psychology mm. so much that they miss the fact that he's a really bad guy mm-hmm. and cunning and crazy like a fox. And he's running the White House as a kind of reality show and on his own terms, very successfully getting great ratings. The country be damned, our future be damned. So that I'm protecting the mentally ill from being lumped with Trump because I think it's very stigmatizing to people with real mental illness to be lumped with bad people. It, it, it um, gives the public the wrong impression that everyone who does something bad must be mentally ill and therefore people who are mentally ill must do things that are bad. Mm. So I think we have to protect psychiatric diagnosis from being thrown around loosely and focus our attention on the fact that he's a bad hombre doing things that are going to be terrible for our country, terrible for the future of the world, and that we shouldn't be handing on a much worse world to our kids and grandkids. Focus on Trump being bad, not mentally ill. I love it. And and I just think that's such a clear, concise, and, and great message. And I'm glad we were able to kind of get that out of the way, because you've stirred up a little hornet's nest, let's be honest, but in, well, in, in a really necessary way. Go ahead. Well, I think that, that lots of people are, are groping for a way to protect our country from Trump. Uh, and especially if you're a mental health person, the the tool you have, your hammer, is going to find the nail of psychiatric diagnosis or analysis of psychological motivations. Trump is the most transparent person who ever lived. You don't have to be a psychiatrist or psychoanalyst to understand Trump. He's been like this his whole entire public life, which goes back now 45 years. He's not any worse now than he always was. He's not crazier now than he was during the campaign. He comes as advertised, a con man, a snake oil salesman, a a serial liar, uh, a self-absorbed promoter of himself, um, a corrupt individual. We can't let the analysis of his psychology distract us from his terrible behavior. And for instance, right now, there are two things we could be doing about Trump. We could be having a conversation about why he does what he does, or we could focus on the fact that Congress, just now back in session, should be passing legislation to make clear that he alone cannot press the nuclear button, Mm -hmm. that he alone cannot declare war on North Korea. We have to be containing this man, not sitting back and analyzing him. I agree. We, we don't, you know, I don't think we've ever gotten very political on the show. Uh, maybe a few times we did have Andrew Breitbart on a long time ago. That didn't go well. But um, what I'm most curious about is what does this say about our country? I mean, he was elected, right? This is a, this is a process that we have been using since our inception. And what does that say about us, about the, you can call it a majority, although, you know, technically it wasn't and all that and uh, what we want and who we want to follow. I think Trump is a uh, mirror on America's soul. 
and it's not reflecting back a very pretty picture. That he's a, a symptom of our societal diseases. He's not the cause of them, although he's making everything much worse. Um, I have several chapters in the book trying to explain how Trump came to be successful, such an improbable president, such an unsuitable, unprepared person. How could he possibly be elected? And also what we can do to, to make sure that the damage he does is limited and perhaps even in a kind of jujitsu that we can turn Trump into an effective Trump shock treatment to make us more aware of the underlying problems that allowed him to be elected. Now, there's the obvious stuff. He was a minority president, and it's, the system has been rigged um, in such a way that it's very easy now for a minority politician to uh, control enormous power. We now have all three branches of the federal government and all three branches of 32 state governments in the control of the Republican Party even though they're a minority party, because they've been able to jigger the rules in, in a way that, that um, enormously favors their incumbency. So part of the problem is electoral. But beyond that, Trump represented a group of, of people that it's diverse, but, and some of them are absolutely deplorable. So that you know, some of his success comes from representing the worst elements in American life. The Nazis, the, the, the Ku Klux Klan, white supremacists, the anti-Semites, those people will never be convinced that, that Trump is not their hero because he is. And I think we, we shouldn't bow to their, 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 um, their wishes in any way or find very much empathy for them. However, the, the majority of Trump voters are decent people who are suffering. The United States used to be the, the best place in the world to be a workman. And one guy working hard could f take care of his whole family, even send his kids to college. Uh, in the last 50 years, we've eroded the American workforce, not only eroding jobs, some sent overseas, uh, many more um, replaced by computers, but we've also taken away the, um, the income that used to allow a middle-class life for a family that had one breadwinner. And now we have both mother and father working very hard if they can get jobs and finding it hard to make ends meet at the end of the month. Why did this happen? It's a technological revolution. And whenever there's a technological revolution, the workers suffer and the uh, corporations and the people who own them benefit. There's been a tremendous transfer of wealth in this country, unprecedented transfer of wealth, so that now the, the 20th richest people in our country have more wealth than half of our population. It's an obscene inequality that, that creates great day-to-day -day pain for a very large percentage of our population. The, the rural areas are dying. If you drive through America, you find that the, the, the small towns have boarded up stores, that they can't recruit doctors, that schools are closing down, and the only job that most of the kids can get is in the army. Uh, the the uh, rural America is dying so that there are many people who feel left behind by what's happened. Uh, social change has been more rapid than any of us could have imagined. Um, who could picture uh, 50 years ago that we would elect a black president? A wonderful advance from my perspective, but a threat to many people in, in our country. Who would picture that we'd be having arguments about whether uh, transsexuals could use which bathroom? Huh. That the, the, the 
right to marry would be established as law of the land. There's been tremendous, from my point of view, social progress in the last 50 years. But from the point of view of people with more uh, conservative views, this seems too fast, too soon, too threatening. So I think that the message that was being sent that Washington was no longer representing the, the um, economic needs and the social views of a significant minority of the American public, that message has to be taken very seriously. And especially on the economic front, we have got to do something to reverse this terrific inequality. The problem is that there could be no worse messenger than Donald Trump. So uh, instead uh, of being the champion, the real champion of the working man, he's a con man. And what his tax policy is uh, going to institute when the Republicans pass it in a few weeks is, is a terrific additional giveaway to the very rich and to the, the rapacious corporations. So the, the message is a, is a real and important message. The messenger is a fake con man, but we mustn't disrespect the people sending the message. We must try to meet their needs in a real way, not in his phony fake, I don't know how to describe it. It's just amazingly self-serving um, kind of reality show way. That, that Donald Trump is a reality show entrepreneur. He's not really a president. Well, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's a, one of the most concise ways I've heard it put. The thing that, that strikes me about this is we elected Trump to be an answer to the issues we have. I mean, a lot of the things that you're describing, the, the inequality and the, the loss of jobs or the inability to get good jobs and working hard, making less, all of these things. And yet we elected this man who clearly looks out for himself, has his whole life, as you've explained, is uber rich, admitted to not paying taxes, this tax policy that's going to come into place. Why? I, I still I can't understand why we do this to ourselves. Are, are we just masochists at heart? Are we easily conned, missing the message? I, I'm looking for I'm clawing for some answers here. Well, I think that we have to recognize that Trump didn't come out of nowhere. There's been a concerted campaign for the last 45, 50 years amongst a very radical right wing, even too extreme for the Republican Party 50 years ago, of uh, super rich people led by the Koch brothers and now joined by a bunch of other uh, billionaires to change the direction of this country and in a way that would very much favor the super rich and disadvantage everyone else. So it, the talk radio didn't happen by accident. It was carefully planned out and financed by people who wanted to convince the American public to do things against their better interests. Um, we don't get Breitbart out of nowhere. It's financed by a billionaire to spread a gospel that would divide the people so that instead of being angry at the corporations and the billionaires, they'll be angry at um, someone who has a different color or someone who has a different view on, on gay marriage. There's been an effort, a very successful effort to change our judiciary to create a, a cadre of, of um, people trained in radical right um, legal points of view and to get them appointed to important judgeships up to the Supreme Court. Uh, there's been an, an, a remarkably successful effort to gerrymander Congress so that the districts look ridiculously um, strange uh, because they're developed by Republican computers to ensure that a, a minority of Republican voters can control the um, numbers of representatives in, in, in various states. And I think that the 
whole effort to discredit Hillary Clinton is a beautiful example of the success of right-wing points of view. Crooked Hillary, she's not a crook. Trump is. But if you say it enough times, it, it develops a, a resonance. Um, playing against misogyny, uh, racism, the um, prejudices that people have against those who have different sexual orientations, all of this was a concerted Southern strategy that started after Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Bill in 1964 that led to Nixon's election in 1968 and has been increasingly powerfully financed. And the Supreme Court with Citizens United gave corporations the right to, to be very heavy players in this, has consistently financed a, a successful propaganda efforts that have distracted the American people from what's, what's most important. But nothing to be very mindful of. The polarization in Washington is much worse than the polarization in the country. Mm-hmm. And e- even though there's been an increasing po- polarization amongst the population, The majority in in a variety of polls over the most important issues facing our time, the majority of Americans have common sense solutions. And in the book, I describe a a contract of we the people, that what are the ways that we could reach compromise uh, solutions to the problems that now so polarize us. And if we don't pay attention to the existential threats, if we don't pay attention to global warming, we may very, very um, recklessly pass a tipping point which will lead to the hurricanes that used to happen every 500 years happening. Now it's been one, one a week for the yeah. last two weeks. Yeah. We're, we, we can't blindly ignore the science and we can't blindly ignore our own senses when we actually see these storms hitting, that something terrible is out there. And we shouldn't be having um, riots uh, about Nazis in Charlottesville. We should be having a serious grown-up discussion about what we're going to do about global warming. This week's episode is brought to you by Casper. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Supportive memory foam creates an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit especially considering you're going to spend at least a third of your life on it. Casper offers free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. With over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. You need to get a Casper, and here's how you can do it. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash smart and using offer code smart that's www.casper.com slash smart and offer code smart terms and conditions apply and now back to the episode and you know we actually had some guests on recently talking about these issues and i think you, you don't get a lot of pushback on it anymore you just get frustration like you said that we're not doing more about it, that the people we've elected aren't doing more about it. You at your core understand the, you know, the mental psyche of of humanity better than most. Is there something about our ability to not see our own demise or to not fear 
what is coming as, as much as perhaps we should. Well, sure. And maybe the hurricanes are a good illustration of this. Trump, Trump appointed to the EPA Scott Pruitt, the biggest enemy of the EPA. And Scott Pruitt has been successful in silencing and almost destroying the Environmental Protection Agency. Trump appointed a group of energy executives or lackeys to the most important cabinet positions. And they've been busily and successfully deregulating the industry that's causing most of global warming. Uh, a week before the flood in Houston, Trump was deregulating. He, he was, he was uh, overthrowing Obama regulations that would protect cities like Houston and Miami from flooding. And he called these despicable regulations that were hampering our economy. They're changing their tune now. But it, it's the most amazing thing in the world when you look at what he's doing. He's not just passively letting global warming happen. What he's doing, if he wanted to kill millions and millions of people in the next century, he could do no worse than what he's already done. So how, and I don't believe he's doing it deliberately, but how can we have appointed someone, elected someone so stupid to this position? And what does it say about us that we're not facing, that we have societal delusions about these existential threats? A big part of the problem has to do with evolution and how our brains are wired. So the, the wiring in our brains is perfectly adaptable to the average expectable environment of 50,000 years ago. Uh, at, at that point, there were just a few million people on the entire earth wandering in small bands, not knowing whether they would survive into the next day, where they would get lunch or whether they'd be some uh, predator's lunch. And our brains are wired to make very short term, very uh, selfish for the most part, uh, very quick and very emotional decisions. So that if you're at the waterhole, you're not going to think twice before getting out of there when you see a predator. A lot of our brain wiring is at that level of automatic, instantaneous, non-rational thought. The parts of our brain that operate that way are much more powerful than the, the forebrain, which operates with rational thought. The connections from the deeper, more primitive parts of the brain to our rational brain are extensive. The connections back to the more primitive part of our brain are much sparser. So it takes a lot of effort to be rational in this world. It's, it's much easier to have reflex, knee-jerk reactions to things. It's easier to ignore the future. It's why people don't put enough money in their retirement accounts. At this point, the world has changed dramatically. So we have these monster cities, an overcrowded world, population continuing to expand in a way that's unsustainable. And uh, we're creating natural disasters that will be biblical in, in their destruction. Uh, when you have monster storms and the, the flood, floodplains, which used to be absorbent, are now covered by concrete of cities, you're going to have ridiculously great flooding. Now, what's happened with Houston? And what's, what's going to happen with Miami? You're going to see a lot of coverage on all the news stations. You're going to see the human interest stories and the, the suffering, the very real suffering of the people involved. There'll be lots of Donald Trump and Republicans saying, our thoughts and prayers go to the people involved. We stand behind you. What you're not seeing and what we need to be doing is saying, this is the canary in the coal mine that these storms are confirming the models that have been developed over the last 20 years 
that say that we're very close to a tipping point where global warming may not be reversible by human means. This should be triggering a discussion about, you know what, we made a big mistake putting Scott Pruitt at environmental protection. Maybe we should put someone in there who knows something about global warming. And maybe we should stop firing people and forcing them to resign and put up on the website the truth about global warming, not the, the fake news of the Trump administration. Maybe we need to start regulating the oil companies the way Obama did and stop the process of giving them free reign to pour as much carbon as they want into the environment. The, the, the storm should be a wake-up call, but the way our brains work, we follow the narrative of the moment. We get absorbed with the suffering of the, the, the person sitting on the roof, and we don't think about the fact that unless we take action now, Unless we do something that, that dramatically reverses our current behavior, our kids and our grandkids and their children are going to be suffering catastrophes like this in, in a way that we can't even possibly imagine. It takes rational thought to imagine the future. And at this point, with Trump in, in, in the White House, we've entered into a dark age where, where rational thought is very hard to come by. I want to go back to the, the brain wiring, because we hear that often. I, I want to actually learn a little bit more from somebody who knows it so well about that specific wiring. So do you think you could help us understand, you know, maybe you might talk a little bit over our heads, but that's okay. About, I'll do my best. Yeah, about, about what is it about our brains, the way they're wired specifically that we put ourselves in these difficult situations despite our best interests? Well, the greatest psychologist of all times is Charles Darwin. And um, he understood that there was a, a continuity between the way our minds work and the way our animal ancestors' mind worked. It's just as, as uh, determined by evolution as the continuity in the way our bodies look. And th what we've come to realize is that nature can only use the tools at hand as it, as it um, engineers evolution. And the parts of the brain that were essential to our ancestors don't just disappear. So we have a reptile brain inside our, our own little skulls that helps control things like breathing, eating, uh, the automatic functions of everyday life. We have a mammal brain in there that is essential for attachment, for love, for nurturance. We have a primate brain that helps influence our social structures. And then we have an essentially unique human brain that deals with rational thought, abstract thinking, and the planning for the future. The part that's essentially human is a small add-on to 200 million years of evolution. And so it doesn't have as much power as we would hope. And the way the wiring work is very interesting. The, the most important part of the brain for emotion, fight and flight responses, anger, fear, and pleasure is a tiny little organ thing in there called the amygdala. There are two of them, one on each side. It's a name, the name comes from almond. And it's shaped like an almond about the same size. These two little tiny parts of the brain get tremendous connections from every sensory modality we have. And they modulate whether we're gonna be afraid at any given moment, whether we're gonna be angry, they modulate pleasure-seeking. They're essential for addictions. When I eat an extra piece of pizza in the middle of the night, it's because of the amygdala. 
It, I don't want to. My rational thought says you're going to have heartburn and get fat, but the amygdala is more powerful than rational thought. The amygdala is a very powerful um, director of our uh, symphony of behaviors. And it responds very quickly and automatically, much more quickly than the cortex. So messages get steered into the sensory messages get steered into the amygdala really quickly and it responds automatically. And it's only as an afterthought that the slower reacting frontal cortex gets into the, into the picture. And, and it can, if we're lucky, exert some influence. So what we have to do in the future is not, and Trump would be almost all amygdala with very little rational thought. Um, we have to get control of the amygdala on an individual level and on a societal level. We have to stop making decisions that are rapid and automatic and geared only to the short term. And we have to think about the, the rational needs of the long term. And one thing, I mean, the reason I started the book is it breaks my heart to think that the world I'm handing on to my kids and my grandkids is not nearly so rich in possibilities and has so many more dangers than the world I inherited. It, it, there's nothing more irresponsible than being a bad parent. And essentially following the policies we're following now is our society being a very bad parent to, to, to our future offspring. I want to talk about this idea of evolution for a minute here, because assuming that evolution is progressive survival of the fittest, adaptive, how are we creating essentially an environment using our evolutionary adaptations, our human part of our brain, that potentially will lead to our demise? That seems like we're evolving to our own destruction, which is not evolution. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting point. Most species only last about a million years. So evolution never places all its bets on one species. Mm. And um, th the equations that are used to decide whether we're likely to receive messages from outer space um, factor in the idea that societies that are intelligent as ours probably don't survive that long. Hmm. That we'd either be replaced by machines or wipe ourselves out. There are no guarantees in evolution for any species to survive. So it's adapted to the moment of its birth. It's definitely not adapted to the moment of its death. Now, that would seem to paint a bleak picture for us. But we also have built in by evolution just the right brain wiring if we are able to use it. And the book makes a, a – this is the, um, the hopeful part of the book. Mm -hmm. We have built in kinship reflexes that have us be very self-sacrificing to the people we love. And usually those are people who have a genetic relationship to us or um, the, the, the mates that help father our, or mother our children. We can be remarkably generous and self-sacrificing. We can think remarkably long-term for the close-knit tribal circle. The problem with those reflexes is that very often the, the cooperation and love within the tribe is marred by a, a feeling of antagonism and hate for people outside the tribe. So we worry very much about ours and we behave well towards our own, but we may not be at all generous to the people who we regard as not part of our tribe. I think when we were small tribes wandering the great earth, these reflexes made sense for the survival of the tribe. 
now that we're this enormous, almost 8 billion people on a tiny little pebble of a planet that really has great difficulty supporting us, even if we cooperate well, and that will that causes disasters when we don't, we have to extend our sense of who's within our family beyond just the nuclear family, beyond the community, beyond the country, and see it as a world of fellow tribal members, that we're in this together. It's a very small boat. And if we don't learn to cooperate, equalize resources, if we can't be good to each other, we will all go down together. We'll sink together. And so I think that the, the wiring, we have better angels and we have demons in the way our brains are wired. And the question is, do we select the better angels? And I think Obama was one. I think he was a weak president, but his heart was always in the right place. He probably failed because he was too noble as a person to be an effective politician. Mm -hmm. Or do we follow our devils? And you couldn't imagine a worse representation of that than Donald Trump. Wow. You know, I've never looked at it as starkly as that. How do the scales tip so far? Why, why is there no middle ground? Why isn't there that, you know, that Obama that has his, his, uh, the strength or whatever it might be, or I don't know, the Trumps that have the prefrontal cortex or why, why do we not, why can't we put that person in office? Well, I think we could. I think that the, the major um, polarization of American politics has been driven by money. Right. That the technological revolution made some people fabulously, ridiculously wealthy. I mentioned before, 20 people have as much wealth as half the country. It um, created corporations that are now sitting on trillions of dollars. It's ridiculous to give them a tax break because they're not spending the money they already have. It won't trickle down to uh, workers. It's going to be straight to the shareholders. That we've created a money machine that led to a propaganda machine. Uh, you're not old enough to, to have lived through the John Birch era. Probably you've heard of it, though. Th these were people in the 50s who were so extreme that William Buckley, the most conservative, responsible politician of the time, did his best to keep them out of the Republican Party. Uh, they believed Eisenhower was a communist. They had all sorts of conspiracy theories. They were racist. Um, they were strictly for the very rich and who cares about everyone else. That extreme point of view, which was derided by the Republicans of the time as un-American, that extreme point of view now governs Washington because that's the Tea Party. The Tea Party is an astroturf, not a grassroots organization. It was started by the Koch brothers. Um, they funded it. They nurtured it. So I think that part of the problems that we describe human nature, but a lot of it has to do with particular contingencies that can be more easily controlled and changed. Uh, during, you know, Clinton was admittedly a flawed person, but he was a very effective leader. And he was able to convince the American public that when there was a big budget surplus, $250 billion at the time, that we shouldn't give this away in tax breaks, we should save it for social security, essentially saving it for our future. Um, he was using his forebrain to realize that the country would do better having a long-range point of view that would protect our elders and protect their children rather than pandering to the people with, with a, um, a short-term infusion of, of, of tax dollars that would be spent on frivolous consumer items and, and not really protect uh, future generations. So Bill Clinton 
he was lucky he had um, an easier situation than Obama, but he was also cleverer at manipulating the system and, and bringing to the fore to the people the importance of doing things f that were future-oriented, not just stuck in the present. I think that we're not going to change our brain wiring. We have to change the environment in which we're living so that the policies that are rational aren't overwhelmed by the big bucks of the very few. This week's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh is the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking more fun so you can focus on the whole experience, not just the final plate. Each week, HelloFresh creates new, delicious recipes with step-by-step -step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. HelloFresh sources the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantities needed so there's no food waste. HelloFresh employs two full-time registered dietitians on staff who review each recipe to ensure it is nutritionally balanced. HelloFresh also makes things so easy by delivering food to your doorstep in a recyclable insulated box for free. HelloFresh is now offering light fall meals and has just introduced breakfast options. Delicious ingredients you'll love to eat, simple recipes you'll live to cook. Get cooking. And you can do all of this for less than $10 a meal. HelloFresh is amazing. The food is delicious. They make it absolutely painless to cook fantastic food. So listen up. For $30 off your first week of deliveries, visit HelloFresh.com and enter code SPP30 when you subscribe. Once more, that's HelloFresh.com and enter SPP30 when you subscribe. That's HelloFresh.com and enter code SPP30 when you subscribe. And now back to the episode. With the focus being on our policies, our politicians, our leaders, it sometimes takes the responsibility or perhaps the autonomy off of us, right? The ability to do something about. And I know in your book, you actually, you do highlight these things. You you highlight how we can kind of overcome the these instincts that we have um, and and live worthwhile lives and things that we truly want. What can we do on our own to better our lives and, and work against our poor wiring? Well, I think, first of all, we can't depend on the politicians. Um, I think the Republican Party is in a kind of death spiral and doing its best to bring down the country with it. I think the Democratic Party has been um, weak in victory and pathetic in defeat. They should have had their own health care policy, a rational one, that would have focused on cutting drug prices and hospital costs, not cutting coverage. They should have a tax policy now that they would be publicizing against the Republicans that would favor the average guy, not the super rich. I don't think we can count on either party at this point. My whole life has been um, one of shameless, selfish self-indulgence. I was missing in action for every um, major political event. And I lived through the 60s when uh, the um, war in Vietnam was a hot and, and divisive issue when uh, civil rights were uh, established to, for, for, for blacks in our country, when women's rights were inactive, um, unfortunately thwarted, um, mostly thwarted uh, p potential uh, movement. And I was sitting on the beach while Martin Luther King was giving his speech. Um, so I, I have a lot to be ashamed of in my past. 
I think at this point, it's impossible to be um, a responsible parent or a patriotic American and not get involved. It's not comfortable for me to be doing what I'm doing now, but you can't help but feel some responsibility for the future and for our kids. And this means a kind of populism that would be really for the people, not the fake populism of the Tea Party. The Tea Party populism has been a propaganda trick financed by the rich guys. I think there has to be a, um, a general realization that unless we get involved in citizens in a way that we haven't for a very long time, unless we're um, working towards um, the 2018 election, um, unless we fight these tax breaks for the rich, unless we get out there and demonstrate against the reduced coverage that the Republicans were trying to pass um, before, before the summer, unless we make clear that science counts, the truth counts, that we will not put up with the, the constant lies. Now, I think the Trump base is eroding. That um, Abraham Lincoln said, you can fool all the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. I think that the more there's a realization of who Trump is, the more that base will shrink. My hope is that patriots who love America are not going to be happy supporting a president who cares more about Vladimir Putin and, and follows his instructions more than of our own national security agencies. I think that um, wor disappointed workers who thought Trump would be their, their champion will realize that every policy, every executive order has been against the workers, against overtime pay, uh, reducing workers' rights. I think that um, people who lose their medical coverage, who were Trump supporters, may not be too happy continuing as Trump supporters. Uh, people will begin noticing that the tax cuts are going not to them, but to the big guys. And I, I think that the, the biggest surprise is how loyal the religious right has been to Trump. I think that there's no human being since Jesus Christ who's been, well, maybe a few, but not many, who've been less Christian than Donald Trump. Jesus preached to charity for the poor. Trump tries to take away their medical coverage and to, tr to trickle down big tax breaks to the wealthy. Uh, Jesus was never, ever um, preaching against gay love or against uh, birth control. Both were very common in the Roman em Empire, and he never once said a word against either of them. He did attack without mercy, without his usual forgiveness, religious hypocrites. So I think that people should, who, religious people who've voted and supported for Trump, Trump up to this point, should go back to Bible study read the Gospels and see if Jesus' preachings are at all what Donald Trump practices. My hope is that the combination of rational, right-minded people thinking about the future and talking to their neighbors and getting out into the election districts, uh, marching for civil rights, marching for the uh, environment, marching for the truth, I'm hopeful that that will be the Trump will be a shock treatment that will make us all more involved. I think that for the Trump voters, my hope is that he's so grotesque, um, it, it's hard to support anyone who doesn't like Nazis and doesn't like the Ku Klux Klan and doesn't like anti-Semites has to think twice about supporting Trump. I'm hoping that he will be isolated, he will be contained. And that because he has presented such a grotesque vision of America, that we realize we don't want to be that country. 
and that we move into a much, much, much healthier direction. Well, I'll hold out that hope as well. I want to, uh, I want to take the last couple minutes here to, to switch gears for a minute to something that I know our listeners, myself very much included, are, are interested in. If you could talk to us a little bit about your experience with the DSM, with building the baseline for how we diagnose mental illness and uh, where you think it is today and, and, and your thoughts on it in general. Well, I think one of the problems that we didn't anticipate well enough is that if anything can be misused in the DSM system, it will be misused if there's an external reward. So the, the biggest problem clinically over the last 20 years is the enormous uh, drug company propaganda, uh, disease mongering, trying to turn the problems of everyday life into mental disorders and uh, selling the false notion that there's a pill for every problem. I think that the, the um, misuse of the uh, DSM is in the correctional system so that we now have um, in 20 states laws that allow rapists to be kept involuntarily in psychiatric hospitals after they've served their sentences on the grounds that um, they have a mental disorder. Even though the psychiatric community does not regard rape as a mental disorder, rather it's a crime. But there's a confusion between crime and mental disorder, and that whenever the DSM is used outside its narrow focus of, of, of expertise, it tends to be misused. Um, it hurts me every time there's a mass murderer, and the NRA says, okay, it wasn't the gun that did it, it he was mentally ill. And that's particularly ironic, since the NRA is trying to arm the mentally ill. Um, they'll hypocritically uh, try to play both ends of that street. But m people who do bad things, mass murderers, serial killers, rapists, and Donald Trump. These are not mental disorders. And so part of my effort during these last um, 10 years almost is to get people to use the system conservatively, not to use it to diagnose the conditions of everyday life. The disappointments and anxieties of everyday life are not mental disorder. They shouldn't be treated with pills. And not to misdiagnose bad behavior as mental illness. We should reserve the term mental illness for those people who are really suffering from it. And we should devote our resources to taking much better care of them because they're shamefully neglected. We shouldn't be throwing the terms around as carelessly as they often are. So is it safe to assume then that you believe that this kind of increase in mental illness is more an increase in diagnosis? Or do you think there is something occurring or there are things occurring that are uh, increasing real mental illness? Human nature is remarkably stable. How we diagnose mental illness is remarkably labile. And slight changes in the definitions, in the way they're applied, in how much drug company advertising there is for a disorder, all of these will raise the rates. And when you hear that a quarter or a fifth of the population has a mental disorder in the last year, that's nonsense. The studies that come up with these numbers are, are designed with a bias that the uh, diagnosis is not made by a clinician. It's usually made by telephone. And the people who report symptoms don't necessarily have enough distress or impairment to qualify for a diagnosis. There are about 5% of people in our country, and most countries, who have a severe mental illness. And they're very neglected. And 350,000 of them are in jail. 250,000 of them are homeless because we don't take care of them. It's a, it's a shame on our society. But the the idea that, you know, the the... 20 or 25 percent of the population are mentally ill in any one year. That's just a bias uh, due to the, the way the studies are done. And we shouldn't be running out. I, recently, 
so a number, the rate of antidepressant use in our country used to be 11%, which was outrageous. It's now jumped to 13%. So about one in seven people in our country is taking antidepressant. For women over the age of 45, it's one in four. Um, something like 7% of our kids are taking a stimulant for uh, attention deficit disorder, many of them uh, carelessly diagnosed. Um, we, we become a pill-popping society, and part of that comes from the misuse of the DSM system. With that in mind, what does qualify somebody to need you know, these drugs? What, what's the qualification? So I know it's tough if you span all of the different mental illnesses. Maybe we focus on one, but uh, how do you know the difference between they actually need it and they just are having a tough time or, uh, you know, have been improperly diagnosed. Well, that, that was the theme of my last book, which is called Saving Normal, that there isn't a clear cut, bright line that separates mental illness from the distress of everyday life. But certainly what's happened in the last 30 years is a tremendous expansion of the realm of mental illness, false expansion of the realm of mental illness and that the, the pool of normal is becoming a small puddle. And I think that the um, symptoms, in order to, to medicine should be a last resort, not a first reflex. It shouldn't, 80% of psychiatric medicine is given by primary care doctors, usually after less than 10 minutes with the patient. And um, with the per last person they talk to maybe being a drug salesman, and they're not having a great deal of of other information about mental illness and how best to treat it. So that we, we shouldn't be jumping to pill solutions without careful evaluation. Medication's absolutely essential for most of that 5% that have severe mental illness. Their symptoms are pretty classic, reliably diagnosed. It's easy to be accurate about the diagnosis, most cases for them, and uh, severe enough that Everyone looking at the patient will say we need to do – almost everyone will say we need to do something uh, dramatic like give medication to help this person. It shouldn't be that 20 percent of the population is taking medication on a regular basis, and that's what it is now. It should be more like 5 percent. Well, Alan, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I, I really appreciate taking the scientific look at what's going on in our brains and what that's causing in the world. Again, the book is Twilight of American Sanity. A Psychiatrist Analyzes the Age of Trump. I know you have an article that you write in uh, regularly. I'd love to know where, you know, where can people read more about you, find more about you, etc.? I think the, probably the, uh, the best place these days is Twitter. Interesting. And it's at Alan Francis MD. Well, we'll link to that and I'm going to give that a follow. We will also link to the book again, Twilight of American Sanity, A Psychiatrist Analyzes the Age of Trump. Alan, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Well, you're a terrific interviewer, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. I hope it helps. Oh, absolutely. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Alan Francis. Dr. Francis's book, Twilight of American Sanity, A Psychiatrist Analyzes the Age of Trump, can be found at your local bookstore and on Amazon. And as always, if you decide to purchase through Amazon, please make sure you use the Smart People Podcast Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. All purchases that you make through that link come at no cost to you, and it greatly helps out the show. If you're looking for other free and easy ways to support the show, head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review over there. 
If you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you could email us at smartpeoplepodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. That's it for this episode. Please make sure you stay tuned to all things Smart People Podcast. Head over to the website, smartpeoplepodcast.com. Sign up for the newsletter over there. And we will see you all next episode. Mm-hmm.